0: North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea.
1: CSIS and the Korea Foundation are convening the annual ROK U.S. Strategic Forum on the 70th anniversary of the war. Panels will discuss how Korea can transition from mere armistice to a permanent peace, and how regional powers can achieve it. Experts and high-ranking officials will convene virtually for this unprecedented event. Session 1, Peace on the Korean Peninsula, covers the U.S.-ROK alliance in commemoration of the 70th anniversary of the Korean War, how a transition to a permanent peace on the peninsula could work, and the security, economic, and political requirements for that transition. Moderated by Ambassador Mark Lippert, senior advisor at the CSIS Korea chair and former US ambassador to the Republic of Korea, this session features Mr. David Helvey, doctor Hoksun Peck, Dr. Intiak Han, Ambassador Kathleen Stevens, and doctor Sue Soo-Mi Terry. Audience, please welcome Ambassador Mark Lippert.
2: All right, good morning, everybody here in the United States. Good evening, everybody in Korea. And good day to everybody else around the world who's tuning into this very important, very timely broadcast of this very important conference. I'm Mark Lippert. I'm going to moderate this panel here today, and we're not going to go through introductions. We don't need a lot of setup because we've had some excellent opening remarks and some excellent video presentations that really set the frame well here today. I will just say we are gathered here today to talk about, as was alluded to in the opening comments, some of the hard problems we brought together some of the best minds uh, to deal with these, present company excluded. Uh, there's a sense of that these, while these are difficult problems, one of some of the comments early were there, there should be a sense of optimism because we've done great things together in the past, we're doing great things today, and uh, we, we can do this as an alliance. A couple of other quick themes, the alliance is global now. It's not just about the Korean Peninsula, not just about Northeast Asia, but the world is watching what the United States and Korea do. And there are new issues uh, that have come to the fore that were outlined, I think, very, very effectively in terms of space, cyber, environment, energy, things that we need to work on together uh, as an alliance of a bilateral relationship. So for this panel, we're going to try to do all of that in about an hour, and we're going to touch on three main themes. One, the state of the alliance and a historical look back, two piece why it is still elusive what elements are needed and three some of these newer pieces that i just discussed that may come in as well as peppering in some of the issues of the of today that are important pivot points uh, going forward so with that i'm going to go right to questions and i'm going to turn the first question over to ambassador stevens ambassador, ambassador kathy stevens who really does need no introduction and kathy ambassador stevens apologies let let's just take a step back um, Recognizing the 70th anniversary of the Korean War, can you reflect on, in your time on the peninsula and all these different iterations, some of the two or three most important events in terms of the development of the alliance, progress towards peace, and maybe why peace has proved elusive? But just that, just to get us going here with a broader perspective, Ambassador Stevens.
3: Well, uh, Ambassador Lippert, Mark, thank you very much. It's great to join you. Um, you told me this question was coming and I've tried to reflect on it and we are at, uh, marking the 70th anniversary of a, a terrible day that I first learned to call Yu-Gi-Oh, just June 25th. That's all that you had to say to, to for Koreans to remember the, um, the trauma of, of that day and what followed. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, I could talk about a lot of significant events, and I think the vice minister just now uh, alluded to many uh, in the alliance and in the search for uh, peace and, and dealing with the unfinished business. But I think on a day like this, we do have to reflect yeah, on on the history, on the, on the kind of origin story of this alliance. I mean, I think we Americans are learning that actually history does matter. And I, you know, I, I, a few years ago, I visited the Truman Library in Missouri and uh, I read there Truman's uh, farewell address when he left the presidency after a very eventful time. And his address actually says, the most important decision of his presidency was the decision to defend the Republic of Korea in 1950. Mm -hmm. And that's always stuck with me. There's a lot more history there, but my point is just, I think we need to understand that history better and understand that also our alliance was actually formed, as we know, in the context of the armistice. Of the so-called temporary armistice. So we had a temporary armistice and an alliance which has turned out to be not so temporary. So I think I think a lot of reflection on history and understanding that better and not seeing it purely through the lens of all that's followed is important to get to what and also how it's seen from North Korea. And I guess the other point I would make since you asked me specific events, and again, is I more than as more of a process, I think, in terms of the alliance where Our alliance actually became a kind of values, truly values oriented alliance. I mean, it, it, you know, more than what we were against. We were against communist aggression. We were against what that represented. But what I saw in my years in Korea, I, I actually was in Korea when President Carter was elected and he brought in a human rights agenda, which was very in some ways destabilizing to the alliance but over time became a part of our values alliance, and even more important, what I saw in the 1980s, and it was a continuum of course, was Koreans saying, we have values too, and those are values we share against torture, for human rights, for elections and democracy, and seeing all that blossom really did change the nature of the alliance. Um, So I think that's the context in which now we have a very different platform for thinking about the unfinished business on, on, on the peninsula, which is of course, Kind of extending those opportunities, if you like, and a uh, and a more pr- and reconciliation uh, on a still divided peninsula.
2: All right, thanks, Kathy, Ambassador Stevens. Great, great setup. Uh, there's a reason I came to you first. Uh, I knew you uh, to use a baseball analogy would hit it out of the park, and you've really got us off uh, off and running. Let's go for a Korean perspective to Haksun Park, uh, Doctor Doctor Park. You have held a range of different positions. You also have been in and around this relationship, in and around this alliance, uh, doing very important work. And just a minute a minute or two of your time to get us uh, off and running in terms of a broader context, a broader perspective.
4: Uh, thank you very much, Ambassador Lippert. Uh It's truly great we are connected like this, have conversation in these trying times. It's truly comforting. Uh, Ambassador Stevens mentioned you know values oriented you know, alliance in addition to that uh, let me uh, let me think of you know three bands uh, which uh, in which resilience is. resilience has been uh, of the alliance has been amply expressed and uh, contributed to the development and the strengthening of alliance cooperation despite all kinds of challenges in the past. <laughs> Uh, First of all, Korea-U.S. Mutual Defense Treaty was signed just after the Korean Armistice Agreement was signed, but we were already allies before the Korean War. We fought together in the war and uh, protected the interests of both countries under the Korean Peninsula and in this region of the world. Uh, Second, we fought again together as allies in the Vietnam War, Iraq War, and also war in Afghanistan. Third. Uh, South Korea could overcome financial crisis in 1997, 90, 98, thanks to U.S. support. Completely to the Rubin rescue, so-called. Robert Rubin who was the Treasury uh, Secretary under mm-hmm. the Clinton administration at that time. Thanks to U.S. support, we could resurrect our economy, helping stabilize the uh, you know, so-called liberal economic world in Asia and beyond for all of us. Those three uh, three events I talked about has to do with the resilience side of our alliance. But uh, uh, you know, if you uh, give me more time a little later, I uh, I share with you my thought on frustration side as well. Thank you, Ambassador. Lippert. Well,
2: excellent, excellent intervention. And again. Uh, we came to you first, uh, doctor in, 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 in part because we knew you, you working with Ambassador Stevens and the true spirit of the Alliance would get us up and running. So excellent intervention. Really appreciate it. Okay. I'm going to come to Mr. Dave Helvey. Dave, um, you are the current U S government official, um, on this panel. Uh, you are in the Pentagon. Uh, You are a very senior member of the Pentagon. You too have been around uh, in terms of a whole uh, range of perspectives on the alliance. You just heard from Ambassador Stevens. You just heard from Dr. Puck. You talk, we, some of the elements were defense in nature. Some of them were finance. But they spoke to a resilience uh, about the alliance. Can you just walk us through from where you sit? where What is your perspective on the state of the alliance today? Where the U.S. and the Korean governments are working together? Where are the gaps? And where's, where is this all headed?
5: Well, well thank you, uh, Mr. Ambassador, uh, Mark, and, and thank you uh, to CSIS uh, for giving me an opportunity to participate in this uh, truly uh, special and important forum. Uh, and I'm also particularly glad that we can, we can meet virtually even if we can't meet, uh, meet in person. Um, yeah, I'd like to kind of start by just kind of reflecting on uh, what it is we're, we're celebrating uh, today and tomorrow. Uh, the 70th anniversary of the Korean War. And I think this really does, uh, uh, Mark, uh, speak to the question that you posed to me. Um, you know, the 70th anniversary of the start of the Korean War uh, is, is really meaningful at this time in the alliance. Uh, I know there's a lot of uh, stress and tension on the alliance, but I think it's important to kind of remember uh, how we got to where we are. Uh, and I think about in this context, uh, the memorial here in Washington DC to the Korean War, and the words that are emblazoned on the memorial that says that, you know, this is a memorial to remember uh, the the American people, the 1.5 uh, million uh, Americans who answered their country's call to defend a country they never knew and a people that they never met. Um, I think that speaks to the spirit, uh, the sacrifice uh, but the willingness uh, on the part of uh, those American uh, soldier citizens uh, to, to to come to Korea's aid at a time of crisis. Seventy years uh, from that point uh, today, though, I, I think we should also look back and say that those words were true then, but they're no longer true now. Uh, we know Korea. We know Korea deeply. Uh, we know the Korean people. We have deep and extensive people-to-people ties based on a long, rich, uh, history uh, of our alliance relationship that extends far beyond uh, the defense aspects of the relationship. Uh, but speaking to those, um, you know, I, I can say with certainty that our defense alliance with Korea uh, today, uh, militarily speaking, is is truly unique, uh, one of the most capable and one of the most effective alliances, uh, precisely because of those deep uh, bonds and ties that we have that are manifest in the c- combined force. Uh, the interoperability of that, that combined force uh, creates and enables um, and the, the, the capabilities that that combined force brings uh, not only to ensuring deterrence uh, and appropriate defense on the peninsula, uh, but also our ability to work together uh, in service of our combined uh, shared objectives globally. Uh, we had heard you know, previously about our, our fighting together in Vietnam and Iraq, uh, Afghanistan. I think that really speaks to how close we are um, as an alliance. And yeah, to your point, uh, Mark, uh, in your introductory remarks, uh, you know, this, this truly has evolved from a military alliance focus on the peninsula uh, to one that is uh, truly global in nature. It encompasses support for free markets Uh, civic engagement, Uh, the the people-to-people exchanges that we talked about, education, tourism, uh, mutual respect. And in 2015, we we announced uh, a new agenda for new frontiers uh, for areas for cooperation in the alliance, uh, some of which you highlighted, uh, but one of which um, uh, is particularly important today, where we talked about uh, cooperation uh, on global health security and to advance our ability to counter biological threats. I think the COVID environment that we're in today uh, kind of underscores the, 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 the foresight and uh, that, um, that the, the, the leadership of both countries put into that new frontiers agenda in, in 2015. Uh, but there's other areas as well, science and technology collaboration, space and cyber these truly are at the cutting edge of where this alliance uh, can be, uh, should be. And, and I think this is an area where we need to continue moving. So looking into the future, I, I see that you know, this type of cooperation, not only in terms of the military dynamics, uh, continued focus on deterrence and defense on the peninsula, evolving this alliance to be much more global in nature. I think that that can continue. Uh, it should continue and I, and I wanna see it continue. Um, in the defense space, uh, I would note that Korea over the past decade has gone from a net security recipient to a net security provider, uh, and is truly uh, a partner uh, for us and for others um, for peace and security and stability in the region. Uh, and in this case, in this in this respect, you see rot the South Korean uh, increased capacity based on the economic performance. Uh, really contributes to effective alliance capabilities, uh, able to service our shared vision. I think we need to continue working with our ROC allies to identify and address future security challenges to both of us as well as to the region uh, more broadly, um, including things as how we can work together to support a rules-based international order, uh, how we can support things like freedom of navigation, freedom of overflight, uh, peaceful resolution of disputes. Um, but also I think there's room for us uh, as an alliance uh, to be able to work on how we can cooperate in terms of our security cooperation and capacity building of third parties. And this is particularly important because as each of us has very precious and limited resources to dedicate to that task, being able to pull those resources together makes a much more efficient and effective way of addressing security cooperation needs and capacity needs of our partners. And by pulling those resources, it also lightens the burden that each of us has to carry. So I think that's an important consideration. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not say that I'd like to see uh, South Korea and Japan uh, be able to work more closely together, uh, not only bilaterally, but multilaterally with us and with other uh, like-minded uh, partners. Um, again, being able to, to contribute uh, cooperatively and collectively, I think is, is the way to ensure that we're participating in a, in a networked uh, security architecture in the region, something I know that uh, Victor Cha uh, has, has spoken of um, uh, with, uh, with uh, great eloquence in the past. Uh, so looking to the future, I'd like to see uh, uh, the Republic of Korea, Korea become even more active in global security initiatives. Um, the ROC is a respected friend and trusted partner to many around the region and the world. Uh, And it has a tremendous capacity uh, to be able to do good. Uh, And so we'd like to be a partner in that and we'd like to support that. Uh, So again, thanks for that question. Um, And uh, really appreciate, again, the opportunity to be here this morning.
2: All right. Thanks, uh, Mr. Helvey. Thanks, Dave. Really appreciate it. Okay, we are going to bring in the expertise of Dr. Hahn, who is sitting there in what looks like a very big room. Uh, I think it fits uh, the comments he's gonna make that are gonna be very big, but in all seriousness, uh, we've heard some discussion about resilience, stress, values, sacrifice, adaptability, interoperability, broadening multilaterally, globally. Dr. Han, we we really could use your expertise here, Korean perspective, global perspective, on really the same question, Uh, here and now, today, Where is, what's your assessment of the state of the alliance? How the two governments, the two peoples are working together and where are we headed and where should we be headed?
6: Uh, Thank you. Uh, um, Firstly, my assessment of Korea-U.S. alliance. As we commemorate the 70th uh, 70th anniversary of the Korean War, I think what's um, uh, remarkable about our alliance is that we are commemorating only one Korean War, not two or not three. This is rather puzzling, uh, given the fact that there has been a lot of nuclear tests, uh, numerous missile tests, and of course, all these leaflets and uh, uh, blew up uh, explosion of uh, inter-Korean Legion offices. All this would, expect, uh, re- would lead one to expect there would be more conflict on the Korean peninsula, but uh, the history is that there has been only one major conflict on the Korean Peninsula, which took place uh, 70 years ago. And, uh, and how come there is only one major conflict on the Korean Peninsula in the, in, since, during, since 1953, when the Korea and the United States formed the alliance? I think the, uh, the main factor has been the Korea-US alliance, in particular, the security guarantee that US offered to South Korea was the the key to stability and the prosperity of of, of, of South Korea. The US-South Korea Alliance or Korea-US Alliance has offered more than security guarantee actually. It has provided an environment in which South Korea could transform itself from one of the poorest countries in the world to one of the most prosperous market economies and also one of the most vibrant democracies in the world. So in this aspect, I think the alliance has been beneficial, not only to Korea, but also to the United States as well. Now the United States has, a, has an ally that is more than military partner, but shares common values and also has same economic and political systems. And the success of the alliance, I think has also unexpected consequences. One of them is, is burden-sharing issue with the size of South Korean economy grows both in, in absolute terms and also relative to American economy. There is now uh, increasing pressure on South Korea to pay more to keep American troops on its soil. But this increasing call for bigger burden-sharing is not specific to South Korea-U.S. alliance Uh, It is is common also in uh, US Germany, US uh, Japanese alliance as well. So as long as the relative position of uh, of the US economy declines and the American public favors isolationism, the burden sharing uh, issue will not go away. Uh, Now turning to the gaps and also future directions of alliance, South Korea and the United States have been close allies since the United States came to rescue Korea during the Korean War. And their alliance will have have to go through some fundamental changes in the future if North Korea keeps developing its uh, its long-range nuclear missiles as well as cyber capabilities. At the core of South Korea-U.S. alliance has been American nuclear umbrella for South Korea while North Korea's ICBMs do not directly threaten South Korea, they will threaten South Korea indirectly by weakening American nuclear umbrella. It is not difficult to imagine how the development of North Korea nuclear missile capabilities undermines the credibility, thus effectiveness of US nuclear umbrella for South Korea. Also, the US uh, South uh, Korea-U.S. alliance is less than effective in deterring the North from launching cyber attacks on the South or even on the United United States. The North has already launched successful cyber attacks on the South Korea and U.S. targets as well, such as uh, Sony Pictures Entertainment. Entertainment. Lastly, but possibly more important, the the, the Korea-U.S. alliance as it currently exists is unable to lead the North to to denuclearize or provide incentives uh, to implement regime change. On the contrary, past behavior by North indicates that a stronger uh, Korea-US alliance is likely to harden rather than soften North Korea's stance. So also the effort to strengthen and update the Korea-U.S. alliance in response to new threat from the North seems to agitate China and deepen the security guarantee, security dilemma between U.S. and North Korea as well as between the United States and China. Since the formation of alliance, South Korea and United States have been great partners. To deal with rising threat, both countries need to strengthen uh, and modernize the alliance. I think uh, strengthening and modernization of the alliance requires more discussions between two countries than more weapons. And I'm happy that the forum uh, provides much, much needed opportunity for such discussion.
2: Thank you. Excellent, Dr. Hahn. Uh, really appreciate the intervention there. A lot of deep thinking and analysis. Let me pull out one theme that you uh, you weaved throughout your remarks, which is that something we haven't discussed is North Korea uh, and the situation there and what their impact is on peace on the peninsula. And for that, I want to bring in Dr. Terry. Um, Dr. Terry, you know, as I just mentioned, part of the reason we haven't seen peace on the peninsula is, are the actions of North Korea. And, you know, we've seen some significant developments over the last week, including last night. Um, But just, can you take us through a little bit of a broader perspective? Where are the North Koreans today? Where have they been? Where are they going? Your thoughts on the North Korea piece of this discussion we're having here today?
1: Sure. Um,
7: So let's start with where the North Koreans have been. Obviously, the North in the past, Decades have relentlessly pursued their nuclear program with the goal of gaining international acceptance of North Korea as a responsible uh, nuclear weapons power. And through four different U.S. presidents, you know, for almost three decades now, uh, we made little progress on the on denucle- on the denuclearization front. And not surprisingly, we are at an impasse yet again with North Korea today. And little progress has been made, despite U.S. President having met with the North Korean leader three times now, um, and adding uh, to all of this is worsening uh, inter-Korean relations, as you just mentioned, as we've seen the past week uh, with North Korea blowing up the inter-Korean liaison office in uh, in Kaesong, really the key symbol of inter-Korean reconciliation, and the you know the latest provocations follow year-long dissatisfaction that North Korea had with South Korea, showing that there's dissatisfaction uh, with, you know, you know, sort of with a short range of missile tests and practicing strike drills with a Blue House replica and so on. And I think what the North Koreans are doing uh, right now is this is all part of broader strategy to pressure Seoul, to really split from Washington, uh, and and for Seoul to make concessions, particularly on the sanctions front. In the Hanoi summit, Kim Jong-un made it very clear that what he wanted first and foremost was sanctions relief. And now that the economic situation in North Korea is more dire, as it's struggling with the secondary effects of uh, uh, the preventive measures that they've taken to prevent coronavirus. Uh, so now they are determined to create a manufactured crisis with with South Korea. Uh, North Korea just yesterday, yesterday today, you, you um, just mentioned that Kim Jong Un now has suspended military action plan against South Korea. But this doesn't. This is a tactical move. Um, I think Kim Yo Jong and Kim Jong Un are playing good cop, bad cop. Uh, But it doesn't change the fact that what North Korea wants, what what its overriding goal is to get sanctions relief and to put a wedge between South Korea and the United States. And if I could just quickly mention where we are headed, in terms of DPRK-US relations also, I think North Korea, after they're done with South Korea in terms of provocations, they will have to turn its attention to Washington and dial up pressure on Washington. It's an election year after all pre-corona, North Korea's missile and nuclear activity was already on an escalatory path, right? A frequency of North Korean provocations closely resembled the first months of 2017 with the short range missile test. And North Korea's usual MO is a brinkmanship brinkmanship strategy to overcome domestic stresses. And there are domestic stresses in in North Korea. So, um, and they have to ramp up provocations uh, to dial up pressure in Washington. Uh, there's plenty of things that they can do besides an ICBM and nuclear test. We can talk about that a little bit later. Um, one final point, uh, and I'll just conclude here, is that you know, there was some discussion among the Korea watchers where Trump and President Trump and Kim Jong-un will go for a last minute 11th hour deal, uh, an October surprise, uh, where North Korea agrees to you know, partly freeze its WMD program for partial sanctions relief. Um, And I do think, I used to think that this was very unlikely. It's almost dry after all, but I do do have to wonder about this because Kim did himself leave a very small opening uh, earlier this year when he said he will freeze the nuclear program or reduce nuclear program if conditions are met. And now when you're seeing this Kim Yo-jong, Kim Jong-un playing good cop, bad cop, I'm wondering um, if he's trying to go for that last possible minute deal with President Trump. So I leave that as an open possibility. Um, and I'll conclude here for right now.
2: Okay, Sue. So lots of food for thought. Lots of tantalizing questions. Um, I'm going to come back to Dr. Han quickly. Um, Dr. Han, talk to us uh, about what Dr. Terry just mentioned—the inter-Korean peace. Um, that dynamic. You know, you've you heard what Dr. Terry say. Her assessment: North trying to split uh, the alliance and use kind of the inter-Korean peace there. Where are we in terms of the state of the inter-Korean peace? That's an important element here. Can you just talk about your thoughts there vis-a-vis the alliance and the situation on the peninsula?
6: Yeah, I I think we all know what happened uh, between South Korea and North Korea recently. The North Korea shut down uh, the communication lines up the uh, inter-Korean liaison office, which South built for, for them and then threatened and then suddenly postponed uh, moving troops into the DMZ. And they also threatened then suddenly uh, postponed sending uh, anti-Mundayin leaflet using balloons. So of course these actions uh, can be canceled and a new uh, decisions can be made at any time. But these really puzzling events and, and uh, tensions has been rising uh, on the Korean peninsula uh, during the past two weeks. So what do we make, uh, what do we make of this event? What we, for instance, uh, these fact, these events say about inter-Korean relations, especially about inter-Korean channel? Do both Koreas, uh, get along well with each other? Obviously not. Uh, the North wants the South to expand inter Korean cooperation and also push the United States to lift sanctions. This is something, uh, South has been, uh, has Failed to do uh, deliver so far, so North Koreans are angry about uh, angry to, to South Korea. But do, do they actually talk with each other? How about uh, inter-Korean uh, uh, communication channel? I think the answer is yes. I think through these, uh, these events, North Koreans are uh, actually talking to South Korea, and also possibly to the to the United States, to Americans as well. And also I think that uh, the main audience uh, of recent events may be actually North Korean uh, resident, North Korean population. Uh, what we are seeing now may be a very carefully, theoretically choreographed, tightly controlled political signaling, where the roles are clearly pre-assigned, Kim jong plays a certain role, other people play certain other role and the limit has been clearly defined. First of all, there was no territorial intrusion. There was no human life lost. So while the rhetorics have been harsh and the actions were very dramatic, there was little or or zero risk that these provocations go out of control and escalate into military conflict. Secondly, Uh, As uh, Dr. Terry mentioned, the roles have been clearly divided and the targets, I think this is also important as well, targets have been carefully selected. For instance, the North Korea has not criticized Mr. Trump or the United United States this time, has they? So despite despite all these provocations, I think that the relations between Chairman Kim and Mr. Trump are more or less uh, remain intact and quite possibly relations between uh, Chairman Kim and Mr. Moon may be still okay. And because uh, obviously Kim, Yun, Kim Jong played the backup role and only to be stopped by her uh, elder brother. And one important uh, interest question would be why did North express anger in such a dramatic dramatic way. I think, I think that they had to. Uh, they had to do it uh, to save the face of their leader whose image was tarnished by anti-Kim leafless. So drastic dramatic actions need, was need to, needed to taken in public so that North Koreans could see that. So all in all, my impression about the North based on recent moves is that North Korea is a very strategic actor and becomes quite suddenly invulnerable when its leader is openly challenged. Uh, that's, I think that sums
2: up my, my impression. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent, Dr. Han. Um, I'm going to go to Dave Halvey, But before I do, I, one follow up to you quickly. You really laid down a comprehensive diplomatic, military um, Landscape of drivers for behavior from uh, North Korea. What about the economic piece? Uh, You know, there have been reports of North Koreans issuing bonds, sanctions, um, all of that. That you know is, I guess, impacting uh, pretty. You know, a weak economy in North Korea. Do you just quickly? Do you think that that is also uh, in uh, the mix here as well? I I think so. Uh... Now um, this actually
6: relates to uh, uh, one of the points that I like to mentioned uh, toward the end of the session. Uh, North Korean economy is, is, is in bad shape, bad shape right now. And this, even after uh, Chairman Kim stood with Mr. Trump three times, and, and both he, he and also North Korean population all expected something to come from. these these meetings, but they didn't come. Nothing, no no major concessions have been made and the the sanctions are still there. The the economy is still bad and and in fact, it may be uh, uh, worsening rapidly due to the COVID-19. So in in this kind of deterring uh, situation, uh, sometimes you need to make uh, uh, diversionary tactics and that may be what happened this time.
2: Okay, thank you. Uh, let's go to Dave. Mr. Helvey, um, just you just heard a very complicated matrix from Dr. Terry, Dr. Hahn, of, you know, military, uh, military provocations signaling possible diplomatic breakthroughs, economic sanctions. Given where things stand on the peninsula, from your vantage point, what is the current state of defense and deterrence, and how does that lead into possible U.S.? Uh, uh, U- U- U.S. receptivity to possib- to diplomatic entreaties. Well,
5: uh, thank you very much, Mr. Ambassador, for that question. Yeah, you know, I, I think as uh, Dr. Han said uh, in his earlier response, it, it is important to remember uh, that together, the United States and the Republic of Korea. Uh, we've been successful in deterring North Korea from large scale aggression or any attempts to unify the peninsula by force. And I think, I think it's important to kind of underscore the deterrence at that fundamental and most basic level uh, still obtains and remains very strong and very effective. Uh, Now that hasn't meant that there's been the absence of provocations. We've seen uh, provocations recently. We've seen, uh, you know, certainly more lethal provocations, whether it's the, ox mine incident, the sinking of the Chonan or the shelling of YPDO uh, in, in, in recent years, um, uh, or the cyber uh, uh, attacks that, uh, that Dr. Han also mentioned. Uh, but I think that basic fundamental deterrence uh, that the alliance provides still obtains. And I think that's important to remember. Our security commitment to the Republic of Korea, uh, as well as to Japan, if I would add, Uh, remains ironclad, uh, both in terms of the will and the capabilities that we're able to bring, uh, the capabilities that are on the peninsula and the capabilities that we would bring to the peninsula uh, in the event of a crisis and, of course, the capabilities that are resident off the peninsula that provide uh, that fundamental deterrent capability uh, that we don't need to go into detail, but it it is there based on our strategic forces. Um, Yeah, as many of you know, and I think this is something that's kind of been Uh, a a theme of the conversation thus far this morning, you know, Korea remains the the hardest of hard targets. It's hard to uh, determine tactically what North Korea is going to do on a day-to-day basis, even though uh, I think we'd all agree that strategically, uh, North Korea, um, particularly under Kim Jong-un, is is very predictable and understandable. Um, But it is hard to tell what's going to happen uh, the next day, the next week, or the next month. And as we have seen uh, just in the past uh, several hours, uh, you know, shifts from uh, focused on you know, preparing for potential provocation to putting those on hold. Uh, so I think it, it underscores the need to be able to monitor the situation in North Korea um, carefully uh, and, it, uh, and to maintain our preparations uh, to be able to respond uh, to events uh, as they happen and anticipate them. Um, as far as any specific provocations that North Korea may carry out in the future, it's obviously hard to speculate. Um, we have been monitoring the, the overall increase in rhetoric and threats uh, against Seoul. We note uh, that the efforts uh, to date um, in this recent cycle have been focused mostly on Seoul and President Moon, um, but I think it also kind of underscores this is that you know, maintaining alliance readiness and alliance capabilities uh, is so critically important, and I think you know there's one of uh, important considerations that we have uh, within the Department of Defense is we have to uh, look at and be prepared for threats as they are, uh, not necessarily as we'd like them to be. Uh, and so, I mean, having that kind of realistic appraisal, and that's why having the combined force there is uh, critically important. Um, and having that having that effective deterrent and having the strong combined force, I do think. Uh, uh, is important to diplomacy, and this gets to the point that Ambassador Lippert raised. Uh, it's our view that maintaining an effective deterrent based on a ready force, uh, a force that is prepared to, uh, in, in, in the terms that uh, many uh, 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 you know, USFK commanders have, uh, have referred to, you know, to be prepared to fight tonight uh, is important precisely because that helps to create the type of environment Uh, within which multilateral diplomacy aimed at the final and fully verified denuclearization of North Korea uh, can take place. Uh, It's hard to talk uh, if there's not security. Uh, And so maintaining that basic deterrence is an important part of the diplomatic uh, outreach. Uh, And I also think that uh, that basic deterrence and the capabilities uh, that we bring, that our partners bring, is also important to the effort to maintain um, uh, maintain the integrity of the, the, the will, the true will of the international community that's represented and manifest in UN Security Council resolutions. Um, you know, enforcing sanctions, whether it's against ship-to-ship transfers uh, or, or restrictions on other types of commodities or access to financial markets uh, is an important part of enabling that diplomacy to obtain. Uh, and uh, we within the Department of Defense uh, view that as being an important part of our role as well as helping to create those capabilities. Uh, with respect to what the future may hold, um, our, our policy, as I've, as I've said, uh, remains very much focused on, on denuclearization. Uh, and it's a denuclearization that, that we believe can can only realistically be, a, be obtained through a, a, a diplomatic process. I mean, that's certainly our strong, uh, strong uh, preference. Uh, we've made some progress in the past, um, uh, but it's not clear if North Korea is intent to move forward together uh, with a denuclearization agenda that will uh, result in a, a much brighter future for the people on
2: the north side of the Korean Peninsula. Over. All right. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Dave. Really appreciate the the, the insights there. Uh, just one quick follow up on some of the things we're watching. Uh, just you mentioned a whole array of possible threats, provocations. Would this also include asymmetric capabilities that the North is developing? Cyber, special operations forces, things of that nature. And do you believe the the alliance is is ready uh, for? Um, you know, provocations based around those functional areas?
5: Well, uh, you know, I think you're right to point out that uh, North Korea has <clears throat> the capability to, to launch a number of different types of provocations that kind of run the range from, uh, you know, the conventional uh, through to conventional and irregular. Um, you know, I, I mean, we are we're aware of and we're prepared to, to respond to, to, to provocations um, you know, including in the cyber and special operations uh, types of threats. Uh, but I would also say these are areas that that we need to constantly invest in. We need to constantly focus our efforts to ensure that we're 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 making the right types of investments and that we are uh, I- improving. I, I think you know the the one thing that is absolutely clear. Uh, Over the 70 years uh, that we've been uh, dealing with this challenge, you know, 70 years since the beginning of the Korean War, is that uh, the North Koreans uh, or North Korea presents a very uh, agile uh, and adaptable adversary. And so even if we have confidence today that we can address uh, the threats that are presented, uh, we know that those threats are going to change. We know those threats are going to evolve. And that requires that our alliance uh, also be adaptable, our alliance also be agile, and our alliance evolve to stay ahead of, not just to follow, but to stay ahead of the threats that North Korea presents. Over. All right. Thanks so much.
2: Uh, We've been slowly making our way back to and Dr. Pak, and uh, we apologize for not, you know, it feels like a little while since we've heard from you and we haven't utilized your expertise as much as we should. So I'm gonna give you two questions here. Uh, First, just any, uh, let me, I'll ask them both together. Maybe you can put them together. First, just any comments on what you've heard so far. We take it any which way uh, you want uh, and, you know, so any direction there, but more importantly, more broadly, one of the charges of this panel is to talk about peace on the peninsula, what's been missing. And we do have some new elements on the peninsula. A president of the United States who's been willing to meet face-to-face with the North Korean leadership. Uh, a willingness to scale back in or cancel exercises to make North Korea um, feel more secure. A progressive president in South Korea who seems very determined and has put personal political capital on the line uh, to, to work towards uh, peace and, uh, uh, a work and a relationship with the North. These are new elements that often folks have said, analysts, some analysts have said, if we just had this or this basket of things, we could move forward. On the other hand, the last couple of weeks has shown some turbulence. Now, maybe we're headed towards a negotiation in October surprise, as Sue mentioned, Dr. Terry, Um, but just your thoughts on both. Any comment on what the panelists said, number one? And number two, uh, the elements of peace that either are missing or are there or what else we need to do to move forward?
4: Uh, Thank you, uh, Ambassador Lippert. Uh, we we talked about you know, the problems uh, you know we, we we have been experienced uh, with North Korea by uh, by others in this panel. So uh, just let me focus on the uh, the peace issue uh, you you mentioned. And uh, uh, in answering your question, I would think that uh, you know we have necessary conditions and uh, sufficient condition for peace in the Korean Peninsula. Uh, Necessary conditions of peace include uh, an an, an end-of-war declaration, no more military exercises against each other, and peace treaty. Uh, Three of them, in my opinion. And on the other hand, we can include the following five items uh, as sufficient conditions, Uh, the first two of which are controversial, as we all know. Number one, denuclearization. Second, sanction removal. And arms control, uh, North, Northeast Asian milita- uh, multilateral security cooperation, and also political will of the top leaders and their key advisors to strike a deal and faithfully carry it out, which is not an easy job, as vividly and powerfully revealed by John Bolton's memoir. And so, uh, I think you know uh, uh, these are the conditions for uh, you know making. Uh, a peace settlement on the Korean Peninsula as a possibility in the future. But uh, if you give me time, let me share with you a, a, some some of my thoughts on the uh, not the bright side of our our alliance uh, in, in the past until you know for the past you know seven decades until now. Uh, let me let me point out three things. First. You know, uh, this has to do with our frustration or concerns uh, of our alliance capability. First, our inability to end the war, settle peace on the Korean Peninsula and denunculate North Korea, even though almost seven decades were given to us and elapsed. Another point has to do with this defense cost-sharing negotiation this time. You know, this really hurts. Uh, the forceful the demand for a uh, 500% increase in South Korea's defense building sharing is a non-starter, or well, nonsense, if you will, which made South Koreans ask, is this America we used to know? That's what the alliance is for? It's truly hurt and it still does. Finally, let me point out uh, that leadership styles and the way they present the issues do matter. Think about the differences about Bill Clinton, uh, you know, uh, presidents uh, Bill Clinton, uh, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump, for instance. Uh, I think you know leaders on both sides, Korea and the United States, should present issues and options in a negotiable way and in in you know, in a solvable way between allies. Uh, thank you for the time. Uh, you know, I can share with my thoughts on on the concerns and uh, and the frustration side of our alliance, even though we had tremendous success, resilience, as I mentioned, and the contribution our alliance has made in the past.
2: Okay, thanks for the insights. We are getting getting close to time here. So I wanna bring in Ambassador Stevens, who we too also have neglected. Uh, Kathy, just a couple of questions for you. Anything to uh, dovetail off of uh, the, the, the very good intervention from Dr. Pak, uh, number one, and number two, the last point, that leaders matter. So, you know, we're headed up to an election year in the United States. Uh, any advice you might have for either um, a second uh, Trump term or a new Biden administration? Uh, I know these are big questions, but just any way you wanna take it, and then we'll probably go to Q&A from the audience.
3: Yeah, thanks, Mark. I. I uh... Really appreciate the comments have been made, and I endorse just about all of them. I, I picking up on Hudson's, Dr. Pock's point. Uh, I mean, I think the context that our alliance and the and our efforts vis-a-vis North Korea is important and is underlying, but maybe just stated. I think we really are in an unprecedented and un, still unpredictable eye of a storm of of political, social, geopolitical flux, um, and that's affecting everything. Um, in terms of, I mean, kind of also what's missing, I think I wanted to answer that a little bit. And, and given the the, yeah. the constellation of positive things that I think you rightly uh, highlighted uh, as we try to work uh, on the North Korean issue, um, I think it's been a perennial issue uh, in, in this effort uh, that in both countries, in the Republic of Korea and the United States, um, the, uh, the the effort has become somewhat partisan. Uh, and I think because, and this goes to, because I think that any success we're going to have on the denuclearization front, on the inter-Korean reconciliation front, on the overall challenges, is a process, and a pretty long process. We need, I and mean, easy for me to say as a non-politician, but we need to try within our own political systems to have a strong bipartisan or even non-partisan uh, support for it. Um, I also think that um, you know while we talk a lot about and it's very uh, kind of matching up the denuclearization effort with the inter-Korean effort, I think that's been you know better in words than in deeds, and we need to find a way to integrate that more. So I'm getting into the advice part, I guess now, yeah. and, and have a again have a sustainable process both on the um, you know on the kind of political bipartisan side in both countries where it's been a problem, but also. In kind of understanding that yeah this this cannot be and this goes to the alliance itself purely transactional purely i mean there's there's a place and a time for big events but there's a lot of lot of kind of slow hard work that has to be done and there has to be the the resilience of not only the alliance but of our own political systems to deal with that and my final point would be we haven't really touched on it but that kind of regional dimension i mean david certainly mentioned and rightly the importance of other alliance relationships such as japan the united states has and the importance of the Korea-Japan relationship. But there is that, that topic called China and, uh, and the many anxieties, I think, in the Republic of Korea maybe about being forced to choose uh, uh, between China and the United States on a whole variety of fronts. And that obviously is the context in which we also have to look at the alliance. But also, I don't think we're going to get to a sustainable settlement, if you like, on the Korean peninsula with uh, kind of, as one of our colleagues sometimes called it, with, with uh, after action drive-by reports to Beijing. Um, we've got to figure out a way to really, um, even in a very difficult time in, in, in our bilateral relationship with China, to, uh, to bring a more regional and multilateral dimension to our efforts.
2: Okay, great stuff, Kathy. We've got about three or four minutes left and about three or four questions from the audience. So I'm gonna to try to give everybody about a minute here. And Kathy, back to you with this one, you just mentioned China. This really fits neatly with what you just, uh, your, your recent intervention analysis. Does the U.S.-China, this is a student from Yale University, does, it, does the U.S.-China relationship make it harder for uh, Moon Jae-in and the South Korean government to talk to North Korea? And maybe perhaps I would add, what about the linkage between uh, inter-Korean talks and the nuclear program that I think the Moon administration uh, you know, promulgated early in, in, his, in, his, in their tenure?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I'd want to hear from a Korean about about uh, the difficulties of the Moon Jae-in government, but I guess my answer would be in a word, yes. Uh, I think a time of, of rising tensions between uh, China and the United States makes uh, certainly diplomacy vis-a-vis North Korea more difficult, but also just more broadly, uh, the whole range of, of issues that uh, that Seoul looks at, uh, much more difficult.
2: Okay, let me go to Hak-soon just to, for a real quick follow-up on that. Same question to you, Dr. Pak. The... Um, uh, U.S.-China relations in terms of inter-Korean uh, conversations and dialogue.
4: Uh, you know, uh, we we have been uh, you know just you know uh, experiencing uh, all the difficulties just you know uh, just in between the United States and Japan on the one side and and China and, and others on the other side. Uh, and uh, you know, even though there is a growing tension and rivalry, but I don't think this will. Continue to the to the extent we see these days, uh, you know, uh, election is over, will uh, really over, in, you know, uh, in the United States and uh, China will have to deal with the uh, new government in the United States, and they will uh, just you know calm down a little bit uh, for the benefits uh, of, of both sides, and uh, this will create a a better opportunity for the countries like Korea. And others, you know, who who are very very much seriously hurt by the uh, relentless competition and particularly verbal attacks uh, on uh, from both sides on each other. So, uh, I, I'm uh, I'm watching uh, this very closely, but uh, looking forward to a better a better uh, lining, you know, silver lining uh, after the election of the United States.
2: Okay, thank you. Excellent, Dr. Terry. Question for you specifically. Uh, uh, the, our viewer uh, asked you to answer this question. Um, essentially, the Bolton book, you just wrote a column about it. Um, they add the net-net the question is a uh, scale of one to 10, the Bolton book, especially in terms of uh, its accuracy. I'm gonna try to fill in some of the blanks here. Its accuracy uh, and critiques of negotiations with North Korea.
7: I don't question the facts are accurately told uh, from Bourquin's perspective, I don't think he was actively thinking he was going to lie. Uh, now, I'm not necessarily ambas- uh, agreeing with Ambassador Bourquin's perspective and views, but I do think his book shows he just took very meticulous notes. So these are the truths as he sees them. But as a reader, you know Ambassador Bourquin's viewpoints. It's very well known. So I think a reader, a smart reader, can sort of sort of. Go through the book and understand all that, but I don't think he was actively making things up, if that's what you're asking.
2: Okay, absolutely, great. And we're going to get to this last one. We're over time, but I'm going to ask uh, both these. Uh, this is a question directed at the Americans, so um, it's from a student. Um, and the net net of this question is: Can the U.S. ever give up uh, the ROK as an ally? And the, the the student asked, "I want to." They asked for a realistic, not a theoretical answer. So I'm going to. Uh, Dave, you're a practitioner, I'm just going to ask you not to answer the whole theoretical question, but within the Pentagon, each and every day, uh, thousands of hardworking men and women in uniform on both sides of the Pacific, um, as well as the, the ROC counterparts are working to make this alliance stronger, as you outlined earlier. Is that a fair and anything you want to say just about the practical modalities of that question? since so they asked for a realistic answer.
5: No, uh, thanks for that. Thanks for that question. Um, And absolutely, we are we are committed to this alliance. Uh, I mean, it's an alliance that's based not just on uh, a military presence, but it's an alliance that's based on our shared values, uh, our shared uh, democratic political systems, our shared uh, uh, economies. I mean, and this is something that uh, certainly um, you know supports the interests of both nations uh, in the region. So. Uh, our alliance is strong. Um, and, and that's something we're going to continue uh, continue focusing on to make it even better.
2: Over. All right. Last question. Last, last word to Kathy. Kathy, same question to you. You're a former ambassador, a practitioner, uh, number one. And number two, to this day, you work uh, on the alliance from different hats, including the uh, KEI, as well as your chair of the Korea Society. So same question to you in a realistic, uh, non-theoretical manner
3: yeah well maybe also in a somewhat personal and emotional manner i would say if by alliance i mean you know we mean the relationship between the people of korea and the people of the united states i think is an incredibly deep thing and it is it is it has deepened beyond my imagination over the 40 plus years that i've been following korea and i think all of us kind of feel it if we mean alliance in terms of the security alliance and how we're how we work together that way i mean first of all it's lasted a lot longer than most security military alliances do Um, But it it will respond to changes in the world. And in fact, our security alliance does, uh, in 1953, does envision a world world which is a different kind of security order in Northeast Asia. So uh, I don't want to send out any tremors there, but I think, right, you know, let's not assume things We're we're in a state of, of, of great flux here. But I think the very deep relationship between our two, again, our shared values, our shared sense of shared challenges, is going to underpin a very important relationship. But what the future of the security alliance and relationship is, I think will depend on the evolution of great power relationships and also our ability to kind of finish the unfinished business in a positive way on the Korean Peninsula in terms of division and suffering. Okay,
2: that is excellent way to end. That that sets up day two tomorrow uh, of uh, the CSIS uh, Korea Foundation Conference. Tune in tomorrow 8 a.m. Eastern Time. What did they say in the old Batman show? I'm dating myself. Same bat time, same bat channel. Um, And we uh, really look forward to another day of excellent discussion, excellent deliberations, uh, finding areas where we can work together, finding areas by which that will uh, do exactly what Kathy said, uh, work on this alliance, make it a dynamic entity that has a bright future uh, for decades to come. So thanks everybody, really appreciate the participants, those who stayed up late in Korea, those who woke up early in the United States, and all the viewers, we apologize we didn't get to every question, but that just means more questions, more time for day two. Thanks again.
0: If you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state, email us at impossiblestate@csis.org. at CSIS.org. If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. We're now also streaming on Spotify, so you can find us there, too, where you find all your music. How cool is that? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Impossible State.